You're listening to Regen, formerly known as the Regenerate Podcast, a ministry of River City Church in Lewiston, Idaho. For more information about Regen, visit rivercitychurch.us. The following sermon was originally preached during the spring of 2018. We hope you enjoy this special archival content from Regen. Wow. We're going to need some extra, a little extra help tonight. Well, um, for... Are you, you okay? I just don't want to go here. This is my wife, Jamie. Everybody give it up for Jamie. Yeah. Uh, and for those of you who haven't met me before, uh, my name is Sam. I'm the college ministry director at uh, River City Church. And I'm really glad to be here with you tonight. We are really dedicated here at Regenerate to uh, actually absorbing what the Word of God has to say. There's a lot of Christians out there who, uh, who are what I would call biblically illiterate. There's a lot of people out there who are biblically illiterate. Whether you call yourself a Christian or not and you're here tonight, uh, I'm glad that you're here. And I believe that actually um, that... First of all, we all believe in a God who created all things and sustains all things, and He's here in this room right now with us. And actually, we believe that God wants to speak to you personally and directly tonight. And so that's my prayer tonight, is that you would actually be impacted by the living God. Can we pray for God's presence to to be here just for a second before we get into everything? Yes? Is that good? Okay, let's do this. Lord Jesus, we ask for Your Spirit to be here in a tangible way. God, I ask that... um, That as I'm bringing the word tonight, that we would be changed, God. That I would be changed. God, we want to know who you are. We want to know what the Bible says because we believe that it is the inspired word of God. So I ask you, God, that you would open up our eyes and open up our ears. As you yourself said, Jesus, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So let us hear tonight, God. We are here to listen to you, to respond to you. And I pray that you would do something deep within our hearts that we can't even understand by the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, let your love be felt tonight in this room. And everybody said, Amen. 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 All right, so tonight... I'm going to be t- speaking on the on a new subject in our Christianese series. Everybody say Christianese. All right, so, sorry, let me try that one more time. Y'all say Christianese. Yeah, say it with a little more gusto. You guys, I don't know if you, for, there's like maybe a couple of you who have never been here before, and so for those of you who have never been here before, you need to know something about Regenerate, and that is, when somebody is really preaching, when somebody brings something that's speaking to your soul, you got to talk back and shout down your preacher. Tell me somebody, how would you shout down a preacher? Get it, girl. <laughs> Hallelujah. Get it, girl. Well, I'll, I'll pass on that, but I'll, but I, the point is, I'm going to need some encouragement tonight. So if y'all can shout a little bit of amens and hallelujahs and wave those hankies, you guys got to make it loud tonight. Can you talk back to me a little bit tonight? Okay, because okay, we're going to really dig in here. We're going to engage a little bit here. So tonight, here at Regenerate, we are changing the world for Jesus one person at a time. And tonight, in particular, we are looking at the subject of, if you can go to the first slide there, the Christianese phrase. We're good. Anointed. Turn to somebody and say anointed. 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 Man, that was so anointed. As in, here's an example. That song was so anointed. I just feel God's presence, you know? Like, that was so anointed. So anointed. Now, some of you come from maybe a, a different kind of Christian tradition. Like, in the Roman Catholic Church... 
Anointing has to do with like when you become a priest. Like if you were to become a priest in the Catholic Church, they actually do like an oil, like anointing thing because then you can't like handle the little, little wafer thingy that disappears in your mouth when you put it on your tongue and it's really weird. But they do, like you can't, you can't do that unless you've been like anointed as a priest. But um, for, mo- for a lot of evangelical Christians, particularly charismatic evangelical Christians, we talk about things being anointed. Has anybody ever heard that before? Where you're like, man, that was so anointed. Or how many of you have actually used the word anointed before? Oh my gosh, that was so anointed. Now, usually, when Christians are talking about something that's super anointed, it's that they got the Holy Ghost goosebumps. They're like, oh man, that song just gave me chills. So it was anointed. And they're like, that, and that kind of just gets passed down. I don't know. I grew up in the tradition where that was the way it was. Like, church was routinely like two hours long because the worship team, we didn't just worship in our church, okay? Like, the music team, they didn't just play worship music. We played worship, okay? Everybody say, worship. Worship. There is a huge difference between worship and worship. Man, let's just worship, you know? Like, just, I don't, what? I sound like, yeah, wor- hey guys, let's, let's just worship God tonight. If Moses Latell was here, he'd say, Pastor Moses, are we here to worship or to just experience the love of the Father. Anyway, uh, so, well, I'll save more of that for later. But, Moses, if you hear this recording, I apologize that I didn't get your permission. Anyway, <laughs> it's although it's considered a great honor. Um, so anyway, uh, when it comes to like things that are anointed, there's moments that we have in church, or there's spiritual experiences that we have where we say, oh my gosh, that was so anointed. But what is Anointing. Well, anointing is something that happens in the Bible in several places, in particular, mostly in the Old Testament. Okay, so this is knowing that what we know is about anointing first and foremost is this: that anointing is something that is first and foremost connected to uh, the uh, Jewish traditions. Um, it is something that was a, a cultural thing for the Hebrew people. Now, why is that special? Because in the Old Testament, God had called His people Israel out of the nation of Egypt, right? He sends His, his servant Moses, right? And he says, he says, Moses, I want you to bring my people out of Egypt. And he's like, I don't even know how to talk right. And he's like, whatever, just go. I'll make your brother talk for you. It's a crazy story. But anyway, read it. It's in the book of Exodus. And it tells us, it's the second book of the Bible, and it tells the story of how God delivered his people out of Egypt. How many of you know God is a delivering God? Amen. He is a God who delivers you out of hardship. The Bible says he is an ever-present help in time of need. Somebody help me, I'm already starting to preach. This, this is the thing, though. God delivered his people, and it was such a massive event, so full of miracles and wonder and supernatural power, that the people were singing about it for generations. I mean, like a thousand years later, you've got psalms and things that were written in, that were celebrating God's people being called out of it. So this was a huge, momentous occasion. But in the middle of all that, God wanted something different for his people. Turn to your neighbor and say, different. God wanted his people to be different. Why? Because he was starting a whole new kingdom, a whole new program, a whole new paradigm for life that was to be a blueprint of what his future kingdom was going to look like. The future kingdom that would be built in the hearts of his followers. So the people of Israel come out of Egypt and God begins to invent a new culture. He begins to, and he, and he is determined, God is determined to build a relationship with his people. So what does he do? He tells Moses, I want you to build a tent. Somebody say, ooh, a tent. Ooh, a tent. 
Everybody ever like go camping in your backyard when you were a kid? I love that. I don't know. I grew up in North Idaho, so maybe I'm weird, but and I was homeschooled, so you know whatever. Anyway, we we still have to like you know put a tent in the backyard. Be like, yeah, we're camping, you know. So, um, but anyway, God wanted a place to live, but His people were on the move, so He told Moses, "I want you to build a tent where My presence can dwell." The problem is God is holy, and in His holiness, He is allergic to sin. Okay, that's the simplest way to put it. And so in the, whole, in the holiness of God can't exist in the same space as the fallenness and sinfulness of man. So God says, okay, I want to establish a system and a place whereby I can be with my people. And we will use the blood sacrifice of animals as a sort of down payment for your sins until such a time that a perfect sacrifice can be made to cover over all sins of all humanity. Okay? So we use this as a down payment type system so that I can be with you. Why? Because God desperately wants to be with his people. God desperately wants. He goes to great. Do you guys know something? It's, it's, just, it's wild. God goes to such great lengths to be with his people. It blows my mind. He's so desperate to be with his people that even though he can't even really dwell there, he's like, I'm going to figure out a way to make this happen. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll do animal sacrifices and things so that I can have this tent that I can dwell in because I just want to be with you. Yeah. God desperately wants to be with his people. Before Jesus even shows up on the scene, we can see that. So, God gives Moses very detailed instructions. Why? Because he wants his people to be different. Turn to somebody and say, it's okay to be different. It's okay to be different. Pat your neighbor on the back and say, it's okay to be different. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay because guess what? Guess what? When your life belongs to God, it's okay for your life to look a little bit different. Is that okay? Is it okay if your life looks a little bit different when you're following Jesus, when you've given your life over to God? It's going to look a little bit different. And so I keep having to turn this page because my Bible won't stick right here. So turn to Exodus 40 with me, will you? It's the very last chapter of the second book of the Bible. The first part of Exodus tells the story of how God brings his people out of bondage in Egypt. The second part is blueprints. So for all of you guys who are really interested in construction or engineer types, you're like, ooh, this is fascinating. It really, for some of you, for some of you math majors, like this is my kind of book. I mean, measurements and like cubits. I don't even know what that is and all kinds of fun stuff. He gives Moses very, very detailed instructions. Do you know God is a God of order? He is. Right there. He gives Moses instructions. And then in Exodus chapter 40, we read this. I'm skipping to verse 9. I'm going to be reading verses 9 through 15. And this is where we see the idea of anointing come up. So this is after he has built the house, or after he's built the tent, he says this. He gives Moses instructions. It's not enough for him to build something. He now has to do something to that. He says, Then you shall take the anointing oil, and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it, and consecrate it in all its furniture, so that it may become holy. You shall also anoint the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils, and consecrate the altar, so that the altar may become most holy. You shall also anoint the basin and its stand and consecrate it. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and shall wash them with water and put on Aaron the holy garments. And you shall, here it is, anoint him and consecrate him that he may serve me as priest. You shall bring his sons and put coat also and put coats on them and anoint them as you appointed their father that they may serve me as priests. And their anointing shall admit them to a perpetual priesthood throughout their generations. This is God's word. Let's pray. God, I ask that you would make this real to us. 
Help me to preach this humbly, faithfully, accurately, God, and help us to understand just a little bit more of what your anointing actually means. Make yourself real to us tonight by the power of your Holy Spirit, God, by the revelation of your word and through your love, Father. We thank you for this opportunity to be here tonight. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer in whom we trust and all the saints said. Amen. Amen. So there's so here's the one of the very first times that we read about anointing in the Old Testament. And what is it even about? And why does it have anything to do with our lives? And why do Christians talk about anointing? What does this have to do with anything? Well, if we look at this, step, we learned a few things about anointing. Number one, there are steps to an anointing. And step one is this. Step one for anointing is to smear oil on the entire tabernacle and all the stuff in it. So when he's talking about the entrance to the tent of meeting, I, I put up a little handy-dandy picture here, so that way I wouldn't have to like read all those verses about like the width and height, and I'm sure Bobby would have been into it, but like the rest of us who are not math majors or engineers would have been like, huh. So this was the tent of meeting, okay? Um, this is kind of what it looked like. There was a courtyard surrounded by all these poles, and then uh, and so that were all tied together, and there was like fabric between all of them. And then right here in the middle, you have this altar, and this is where sacrifices would be made. So an animal would be would be killed humanely out here, and then the priest would take the blood and sprinkle it on the altar. And the altar, and then the remains of the animal would be put on here. Certain parts of the animal would be put here, and then the altar uh, on the altar, and that's where the sacrifice would happen. And then if the priests were ever going to go into the tent, into the actual tent to meet with God, they would have to wash over here at the basin. So, and these are the articles you'll, mention, you'll see in verses 9 um, through 11, we read that the, these things were anointed. So he wanted to anoint the tabernacle and all of the stuff in it. For what purpose? Why? To make it, are you ready for this? Different. Turn to somebody and say, different. <laughs> different. Different. The word here is, in Hebrew is kodesh. And kodesh means holy. It literally just means, it it means set apart for a sacred service. Now, was there anything special about this basin? Well, it was made of bronze. I mean, it was made of like certain materials, which is pretty cool, I guess. But the big thing was in this moment, he wanted to anoint all these things for service. It was a, it was a, it was a moment in time, a ceremony, a ritual by which these things would be recognized as this is set apart for God's service. These are, thing, these are tools and utensils that are to, going to be used in the worship of God. How many of you guys know you have tools in your proverbial tool belt, in your skill set, in your abilities, in your gifts that God has given you? God has given you some things that need to be set apart for service. There are some things in your life that God has given you that you don't even realize are to be used for His service. For those of you who are into engineering, guess what? What if God wants you to use that to build houses for people in need? That's building the kingdom of God right there. Anoint that. Anoint that stuff. Smear some oil on it. You know, in like in a sort of figurative sense. What I'm saying is God, there are some things in your life that need to be anointed, that God has put in your heart, that God has put in your mind, or even given you physically, that it's time for you to set apart for His service. Why? Because God wants you to be different in the sense of you're following God and you're not just using things the way the world does, but you're using your gifts for the service of God. Hello? Uh, speaking to anybody? It's okay. It's, it's okay. I'm just preaching myself here. Um, I, there's, but there's an altar of burnt offering. And on that altar is where they were going to make the sacrifices. This had to be anointed. So they take oil. Now, not just any oil. I'm not talking like motor oil. Okay. 
So God's not like, take some SAE 10W30 and like, you know, douse it on there. Like, no, he's, he's, the oil that they used back then was olive oil. Turn to somebody and say, ooh, olives. <laughs> Does anybody find olives to be exotic at all? No? Okay. Uh, anyway, um, so, step, so olive oil, like this, sort of. And so what they would do is they would smear the olive oil on the different articles. Now, if, I, but I want you to imagine, this sounds kind of weird. Like, you're like, why would you, uh, I don't, I'm not quite following, why is this important? Because it's a rite of passage, a rite of passage. I don't know if any of you guys have gone through something in your life where it's like you, you felt like you were walking through a doorway, you know what I mean? Where there was like, you were, you were one person on this side of the doorway, and then once you passed through, you were another person on the other side. In Jewish culture, they have like a bar mitzvah when you turn 13, and then it's like you go from boyhood to manhood, and everybody recognizes it, and it's this big uh, party. In uh, Latino culture, they have, uh, what's it, the quinceanera, right, when you're 15? Is that right? When you're 15, um, uh, when you turn 15, and that's sort of like symbolic of moving from girlhood to womanhood, and there's sort of this rite of passage. Now, has anything like really changed? Does any at a quinceanera? I don't know if anybody's ever been there. It's a giant birthday party. Does anything really change with the person when they go through the quinceanera? I mean, are they physically different? They have a lot less money afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> they have a lot less money afterwards. So. But there's some, but like the physical physicality of the person has not necessarily changed, but how they are seen and how they are recognized is different. You see what I'm saying? And so when they were anointing the articles of the of the tabernacle, all the all the entire nation is gathered there, and they're like, "Whoa, we're getting God's house ready. Like God's going to show up. The presence of our God, the Creator, is going to be here when we are done with this, and we are symbolically setting these things aside. So everybody's breath is being held. Can you imagine? Like it probably was like this awkward silence where people are like smearing things on there, going, "I wonder what God's like," because we've never actually seen Him. I mean, we saw some crazy stuff in Egypt happen, but we're just going to. Put this oil on here and just hope that this isn't too crazy, right? And then, but it's not just the things that need to be anointed. And I, and I want you to know something. God doesn't just want you for the things that you have. God does not just want you for the things that you offer. Like the world just wants you for the things that you offer, for the skills that you have. God doesn't just want you for the tools and the utensils and the altars and this and that. God wants you for who you are. Amen. And, then, and this is the second point. You have to pour oil on the priest. What did this look like? Well, back in the day, what they used to do is they would mashach, oh, well, the, the word is um, mashach, they would dump oil on the priest, a horn's worth of oil, which is probably about, oh, I don't know, about this much. And as a demonstration, one of you no, I'm just is going to uh, actually be anointed tonight. And so the rest of you can get your smartphones out because actually I already pre-selected the person so you don't have to volunteer. Bobby is going to volunteer to be anointed tonight. And I'm going to show you what the Old Testament anointing actually looked like. I want you to picture Bobby as a priest. It's not too hard. <laughs> as a Jewish priest. He's got the beard. He's got the whole thing. Maybe the glasses are a little 21st century, you know. But um, if Bobby was a priest um, and we were about to anoint him, this is what would happen. So everybody, you're going to have to get out of your seats for this one because we're going to head right out this door. Follow me. <laughs> Somebody grab that, that roll of uh, paper towels for Bobby. Yeah. Yeah. You volunteer mothers first. 
Now, I'm guessing none of you guys have ever seen a sermon where somebody got like half a gallon of olive oil dumped on their head, but now you have. So if you're ever wondering what Old Testament anointing looked like, now you know. <laughs> Are you going to walk him out, Charles? Oh, man. All right. Should we continue waiting for Bobby? Yeah, you got to keep that door open. Okay, we're gonna we're just gonna keep on moving then. Yeah. Okay, we're gonna keep on moving. I don't know how long that'll be. <laughs> it, was a, it was a lot of oil. I'm glad that he was willing to do that because I wouldn't have been. But uh, anyway, um, that just shows Bobby is now holier than all of us. So <laughs> anyway, um, so that so why would they do this? Why would they dump this horn of oil on the priest and and then and then he's so he tells. Uh, First, God tells Moses, I want your, your brother to wash. Tell Aaron to go and wash his clothes and everything. And tell his sons to do the same thing. Then I'm going to put the holy garments on them. What are the holy garments? Well, there was also specific instructions for what Aaron was supposed to wear as a priest, right? So this happens, and then they anoint him. And then they repeated it for his sons. But why? Why? Why did God want to do this? And it's, this is what it says. This is what it says in verses, if you look at uh, verses 13 and 15, it's basically so that they can uh, preach, so that they can, like everybody always says, like, I can't even adult right now, you know. They, in, in the Hebrew, the word is like to priest, like if priesting was a verb. That was like what, like in order to priest before God, like I can't even priest right now. And that's, 
So he tells, he tells Moses, they are to be anointed. Why? So that they can be a priest to God. Because they needed to be set apart. They needed to be, again, different. Turn to somebody say different. God was calling the priests to be qualitatively different. Now, were they special people? Were they perfect? Was Aaron perfect? No. In fact, if you read in the Bible, you read that Aaron was the person who built the golden calf that really like destroyed Israel for a little while, like destroyed Israel's attitude towards God right out the gate when they left Egypt. Okay, so that was not—he was not exactly a perfect person, no. But how many of you know God uses imperfect people to accomplish His perfect plan? God does that. And so God anoints him to be a priest so that they can so that they can priest before God. Again, it is a rite of passage. There's nothing magical about the oil. There's nothing even magical about the garments that they're putting on. But it is a rite of passage where before God and man something is being recognized. It's like the moment that I got married, okay? I was standing before witnesses. Jamie and I stood up on an altar, and it's not like we were actually qualitatively different people, but I believe that in that moment that I promised my life to Jamie and she promised her life to me, something special happened in the presence of witnesses and in the presence of God that made us one in a way that we weren't before. And suddenly, something that was not gets called into being. And that's what happened when the oil was poured over the priest. Aaron, who is just some Joe Schmo from the Kokomo from the tribe of Levi, he is now high priest over the entire nation. It is the anointing of God that makes you... It's, it's the anointing of God that makes you. It's not about your talent. It's not about, it's not about all, the, all the externals. It's not about all the things that the world cares about. It's about who God says you are. And so he said, and this is the crazy thing. This is what I love about it. This is what I love. It says that they were to be priests before God. And it was an anointing that was multi-generational. Look at verse 15. It says, their anointing shall admit them to a perpetual priesthood throughout their generations. Somebody say throughout. Throughout their generations. What does that mean? Once a priest, always a priest. Once a priest, always a priest. Once you've been covered by the oil, once people have seen that, you can't undo it. You can't just be like, I quit being a priest. Nope, you're in for life. That's it. Until the end of time, you and your descendants are going to, going to walk as priests. Crazy, isn't it? But there's something, why is, it, why is all this so, so powerful? Why does this even matter? Why does the tabernacle matter? Why does the priesthood matter? Because Paul says in 1 Corinthians that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, a dwelling place, a tabernacle, if you will, of the Holy Spirit. God doesn't live in a tent no more. That means by faith, God lives in your heart when you say yes to Jesus. So the way that you take care of the tools and utensils, somebody help me preach. The way that you take care of the things that you have is reflective of how you're caring for the temple of God that resides within you. And secondly, why is the priesthood important? Because Peter said in 1 Peter that we are called to be a royal nation and a holy priesthood. And guess what? Once you've been called to be a priest, once you have received that anointing, as it were, you are no longer just just some person. You are recognized in the sight of God as a priest. And once you're a priest, once you're always a priest. Once a priest, always a priest. Once you have gone into the presence of God, you're never going to be the same again. Once a priest, always a priest. That's how God sees you. God's calling on your life is not revocable. He doesn't go, oh, well, you totally screwed up. I'm out. I don't love you anymore, and I'm going to leave you. God's not like that. Once a priest, always a priest. Now, why is this important, though? I'm going to wrap things up here with this. Well, first of all, we learn about what is anointing for. Well, in the Old Testament, we learned about a few different things. Number one, anointing was for tools and weapons. In Isaiah 21.5, we read about how warriors used to anoint their shields with oil, right? So you dump 
some oil on your shield to make it, I guess, more slippery. Um, not like on the inside where you couldn't grab it. You're like, let's go to battle. You know, like it was so that when the enemy was like charging you with a spear or a sword, they would be less likely to lodge their weapon in your shield because it would be, well, oil. Um, the other thing that you would do, and of course we read about the utensils in the temple. Also, of course, in Exodus, we read about how priests were anointed for service. And why are priests important? Because priests were the intermediary between God and man. They were the ones who were taking the blood of sacrifice and sprinkling it on the altar and saying, congratulations, come on in. Spend some time with God today. One of my favorite, I know that a lot of people get stuck in Leviticus when they try to read through the Bible in a year. Has anybody ever tried to do that? You're like, oh. But actually one of my favorite parts of Leviticus is where it describes, there's a sacrifice called a free will offering where you would come and basically you'd sacrifice an animal and then you just have dinner. You just have dinner in the tabernacle with the priests in the presence of God. The whole point of it, and it was all, and guess, this is the cool thing, it's free will, it was for fun. So you would go into the presence of God just because you wanted to be in the presence of God. I can't imagine how, how much did God crave that free will offering. How much did he delight in it when his people would come into his presence of their own accord. And it wasn't because they were in crisis. It wasn't because they needed to have some kind of sin paid for. It was just because they wanted to be there. So priests were anointed with oil. Secondly, we read in Isaiah 61.1 that prophets were anointed. <clears throat> this is a very famous passage in Isaiah. You're looking good, Bobby. Give him a big hand one more time. <laughs> Preach, Bobby. Prophets were anointed. Isaiah 61.1 says this, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach good news. And so prophets were mouthpieces for God. Uh, men and women who spoke for God to call people back to His ways and to speak to them about where God was taking them. And, but by far, where it appears the most, the word appears the most is in regard to kings. Turn to somebody and say, Kings. 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 Kings in ancient Israel were anointed with oil. We first read about this like in uh, places like 1 Samuel 10, where the, where the man Saul was anointed by the prophet Samuel. He dumps, a, he dumps a horn of oil on his head and says, Congratulations, you've been voted in as president by God. Like that's how they used to run their elections, pretty much. Like God says, I want that guy. Okay, dumps oil on, some oil on his head just so everybody knows this is the guy, and we're off. Elections would be so much easier. No recounts, no, like, no controversies about Russians getting involved, none of that. Kings were anointed. And, they, and in fact, it was so important. The image of a king being anointed as a ruler was so important that it became almost synonymous. Like, the idea of anointing as Israel's history went on became almost synonymous with kingship. To the point where, in, uh, in 1 Samuel 24, 7, King David calls, um, calls Saul. And Saul was kind of a chump, if you read the story. But David still recognized that Saul was the king, and he called him the anointed one. He said, he is the anointed one. How could I dare lay hands on the anointed one? Of God, because he's been placed there by God. And then in the New Testament, we read about it as well. Jesus was actually anointed for burial. In Mark 14, verses 3 through 9, we read about a woman who took some very expensive oil based ointment and dumped it on Jesus. And, uh, it was, and uh, his disciples were really upset about it. They're like, Why is this lady doing this to you? And he's like, She is preparing me for burial. It was an an ancient Near Eastern tradition where you would have these spices poured on you, although traditionally that was supposed to happen after you were buried, after you were um, dead. And so this woman, like, prophetically poured this on him. And he's like, Man, this is such a big deal to me that you guys are going to be talking about it forever. And he was totally right because it got written down in the Bible. Boom. 
roasted disciples. And then, <laughs> and then finally in James 5.14, we read about how sick folk are anointed. James 5, um, he's addressing the church with a number of issues, and he says, hey, look, if there's people among you who are sick, here's what you do. Go to the hospital. No, he actually says uh, what you should do is you should bring them to the leaders of the church, bring them to the elders, and then smear oil on their head, pray for them, and he says the prayer of the righteous person is going to fix them. Just like that. He says it so confidently, too. Just read it. It's crazy. So guess what? From now on, if you're sick, it regenerate. We have bottles of olive oil that are waiting for you. <laughs> okay. But honestly, actually, there's actually, I was challenged by this. Actually, I kind of want to be challenged to do this, to actually do something like that, that symbolic smearing of oil. If you're sick and you need prayer, um, we'd love to do that. And it's just, um, it just it's nothing magical, but it's something that we're commanded to do in the New Testament. Total side note. Anyway, so why is this so big? Why is this so big? Because the word for, for, this is what blows my mind, is the word for anointing is mashach. And so when David first called Saul the anointed one, he said, he used this word, he said, how could I touch the Lord's anointed? He is the Mashiach, the anointed one. How could I touch Saul? He is Mashiach. In English, we say Messiah. He is the Messiah. How could I possibly touch him? And what's amazing about this idea of anointing is that it became part of the very title of Jesus himself. Jewish tradition told of the Mashiach, a true anointed one who would come not just as, as a normal earthly king, but as a perfect king, establishing the kingdom of God in justice and in righteousness. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the reign of his government and of peace, there shall be no end, it says in Isaiah. The Mashiach is coming. The anointed one is coming. I wish somebody was excited about a Messiah showing up in your life but there's an anointing that's coming there's an anointed one who is going to come the Mashiach in Greek they translated it as the, into the Greek word Christos ha Christos and so for a long time he was known as Jesus the Christ but eventually they just dropped the article and he became Jesus Christ and now we think it's his last name it's <laughs> you know what it means Jesus is the anointed one. He is the one that we've been waiting for. And so anointing has way less to do with how you feel about a worship song. I mean, that's great that you get the Holy Ghost goosebumps in a moment in church. But what's more important is that Jesus was anointed. Jesus was anointed for burial on your behalf so that he could rise up from the grave after being killed in your place for your sins. So that he could stand at the right hand of God and be the anointed priest that you could never be. So that he could, so that his word could speak to us today, so he could be the anointed prophet that we need in our time in this place, and so that he could be the king above all kings, the true Mashiach, the only one who is worthy of all glory and all honor and all praise. And I wish somebody would give God some praise tonight. Can we give him a praise break just for a second? If you believe that he is worthy, that he is honorable, that he is worthy of glory and praise. That's. What anointing means. It is connected to the very person of Jesus Christ and what he has done for you. And it's a sin, but it's also a symbol. Throughout this study, we can see that, that it's actually a symbol of something. Of God's power being recognized. Of God's, we call it anointing, because we don't even really know another word for it. But it's like that, that presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Where God somehow kind of just touches you and it's as if he's like dumping oil on you and something just overflows you. I don't know if you've ever had that moment. If you've ever had that experience where, where you feel what we call the anointing of the Holy Spirit. If you've never felt the anointing of God. 
But that's my prayer for you tonight, is that you would. That you would experience that firsthand. And that you would come to know the anointing that comes from HaMashiach, from the Anointed One. So here's the question. When have you experienced something anointed, quote-unquote, in the Christianese sense of the word? And here's another question. Why have you been anointed? If, you, if we are truly a holy nation, if you've given your life to Jesus, then that means you've been anointed for service too, and you're a priest for life. So why have you been anointed? Where has God put you, and who are the people that God wants you to reach out to? Why has God put you here? Why has he anointed you personally? couple challenging questions. No, no pressure. Go ahead and turn around and discuss it with a couple of other... Find somebody else. If there's only like two of you, then pair up with another pair and get like groups of like four, three or four. Ready? <laughs> Go for it. Go and discuss. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon from Regen. If you have any questions about Regen, feel free to shoot us an email at regeneratelcsc at gmail.com. Regen changing the world for Jesus one person at a time.